Hey, what's up, guys? And welcome to episode 75. My God, we're getting close to 100 of Talk 4, the quickfire podcast where we ask four great questions to unique and interesting people. Behind the mic today is your host, Louis Scoopian. That's me. And let me introduce our incredible guest for today, Aaron Fitzgerald, who's going to be answering a few questions today. Aaron, welcome aboard the Talk 4 podcast. Please say hi to the fine people listening and just give us a quick rundown of who you are and what you do before I shoot some questions. Okay. Hello, everybody. I'm Aaron Fitzgerald. I'm very honored to be here. Uh, I'm a helicopter pilot. I work for Red Bull, and I'm a, on a team called the Flying Bulls. Uh, the Flying Bulls are based out of Austria, Salzburg, in fact, at Hangar 7. It's a beautiful facility if you ever get a chance to go there. But I work primarily in the United States. So I fly air shows all over the United States representing Red Bull and representing helicopters to the larger aviation community. That's amazing. And um, I'm let's put it this way then. So I said this to you before we just went on the show, but I just never knew a helicopter could be upside down in any circumstance. Like if I kind of create a picture of something like that happening, I just see disaster. So is that common? Do, do Is that something that you get a lot of people just who are like, I didn't even know that could happen. Is that is that really common? Yes, it is. In fact, I used to think that myself. Uh, I hear that a lot, that, that people, when they see our program, they say, that's the first time I've ever seen a helicopter go upside down. I didn't know they could do that. Uh, but it has been going on for quite some time. The very first uh, helicopter loop that was ever recorded on film was in 1947. There's a Sikorsky test pilot named Tommy Thompson, and uh, that was the first time anybody ever captured it on film. So it's probably the first time anyone ever looped a helicopter. Uh, but it's been going on for a long time. The, uh, the program at Red Bull is one of the most mature and developed aerobatic helicopter programs. Uh, really ever um, and we've got we've got an in-house expert named Reiner Vilke and our chief pilot Blackie Schwartz who are both uh, you know air, uh, helicopter aerobatics experts and they're the ones who trained all of us internally and uh, the program's alive and well and yes helicopters can go upside down we can't maintain inverted flight but we can take them upside down uh, and most helicopters can do it uh, it's just a matter of your margin for error and what the aerodynamic performance envelope is uh, as, as to what maneuvers you can do and how aggressively you can do them Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. I'm going to have to look that up afterwards on here and have a look at that clip. But um, anyway, so obviously incredible career you've had. And um, I mean, looking at the stuff that you do, it's just it's jaw dropping, no doubt about it. And I just can't wait to ask a few questions, really. So um, if you're good to go, should we jump into question one? Let's get to it. Right then. So question one, um, I love to kind of wind the clocks back a bit with people and just see kind of how this all came about. So question one, how did you get into flying in the first place? And when did you start flying helicopters? Uh, I started flying when I got out of the Army. I served in the U.S. Army uh, a long time ago. Uh, I was a paratrooper when I was in the Army. I didn't fly. Uh, so as soon as I got out, I used the uh, the educational benefits that's called the Army College Fund or the GI Bill, uh, and I used that towards flight training, and that's what I did. I went immediately to flight school, and I started with helicopters. I didn't, uh, I didn't start in airplanes and then transition into helicopters, which is more common. Uh, for me, I started from zero in helicopters, and, uh, and that's all I did. I never looked back. And fortunately for me, I was, uh, I was young at the time, uh, like early 20s, maybe 22 when I first started flying helicopters. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of overhead and I was able to be really aggressive and work really hard and work for cheap. And I was able to uh, get a career going right away. So lucky for me, I've been flying helicopters for 30 years for a living, almost 30 years. Wow, that's fantastic. So what was the first helicopter that you flew then? Uh, Robinson R-22. 
which is a little <laughs> two-seat trainer. <laughs> nice <laughs> it's one. not very impressive, but it's it's a great trainer though. I mean, it, if you can fly one of those well, then uh, those skills transfer because it's you know it's not a very stable aircraft. It's not uh, very much horsepower available, so you develop good habits that that do transfer over into the larger helicopters. Well, yeah, it certainly appears to have done that with your career, that's for sure. But yeah, so let's get into that then. So if we look at the aerobatic side of things you do in the helicopter, which I mean, they're just <laughs> just mind blowing. Um, I didn't even know, like, like I said, a helicopter could go upside down and stuff. So, how do you even approach like learning to do these kind of things in a helicopter and the aerobatic side of flying? Like, how do you even get into that? Uh, well, for me, my experience with Red Bull was the only uh, aerobatic experience that I had uh, uh, at that time. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> good reflexes, <Brilliant>. right? Uh, <laughs> um, I had been flying helicopters for a long time uh, when when Red Bull asked me if I was interested in taking over as the aerobatic pilot here in the States. Uh, I, I had known everybody at Red Bull for a while because I was providing other helicopter services to them as a vendor. Uh, so when they came to me and said, hey, do you want to learn how to do this? I, of course, said yes. Uh, and then, you know, of course, I had some reservations because it looks pretty exciting and and uh, and scary. And I didn't know if I was going to get airsick or if I was going to be able mm. to even do it. Uh, so we started the program. Uh, I trained first with Blackie Schwartz, who was our chief pilot at the time. Uh, and he kind of got me going intro to helicopter aerobatics. And then uh, I did an advanced, a couple of advanced training camps with uh, Reiner Vilke and Blackie both. Um, Mirko Flame and Felix Baumgartner and all, uh, all three of us trained together and we all learned helicopter aerobatics at the same time. Wow. Awesome. All of us had been flying before. Yeah. Fantastic. So Obviously, you kind of touched on this a little bit before, but you kind of said that other helicopters could do this as well. So what makes the Red Bull helicopter so special then? And is it can you actually do these things in, in other helicopters? And what are the kind of like the requirements there, if you will? Uh, the Red Bull helicopters are are the BO-105, which, as you, you're probably well aware, it's a, it's a German Army helicopter. It was uh, it was by MBB, Messerschmitt, Bolkau-Blohm. They designed it in about 1967, I think, was the first flight. Uh, mm -hmm. And they've been feeling them since the early 70s. There were about 1,500 of them built. But what makes them unique uh, is the rotor head. It's got a, a, a hingeless, bearingless rotor system. So it's a rigid rotor with a solid titanium hub. So it's really, really robust. Uh, it's over-engineered. It's super tough. But the blades being rigid in plane mean that you can do all kinds of aerodynamic uh, maneuvers that you can't do with conventional helicopters. A lot of helicopters can do loops and rolls. I've looped and rolled a couple different models, uh, including a Blackhawk. Uh, wow. So they'll do it. But what's great about the BO-105 is that it has such a huge margin for error. The, the performance envelope on that thing is so big. And what we do is is well within the capabilities of it. It's a tremendous machine. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can clearly see that. So how how can a helicopter actually do that be upside down for a second what's like in a nutshell what's the science there like how is that working what why is that able to do what it does in that sense in these air shows i mean i just i can't wrap my head around it really uh, well, as I mentioned before, we can't maintain inverted flight in a mm -hmm. helicopter, right? There's no way to introduce negative pitch. Um, and also, our engines aren't designed to to maintain inverted operation. So we start to lose oil pressure at about five seconds or so of being inverted. Uh, and losing oil pressure is disastrous for turbine engines. So you don't want to do that. Um, so the way we do it, uh, to get the helicopter upside down, you have to impart some upward energy on it in some way so that you have a little bit of loft. So it's more of a ballistic maneuver. So you kind of pitch it up, get your energy pointed up and then do your maneuver and then recover as you start to descend. So even in a roll, which is a relatively flat maneuver, there is a little bit of a pitch up where you, you gain a little altitude 
get it around, get it right side up and maintain your altitude. Some of the other maneuvers take a lot more vertical space, um, but you're always beginning to fall, uh, beginning to descend when you're when you're upside down. The longer you stay inverted, the, the more you accelerate downward on the vertical vector. That's fascinating. So when you look at the videos, I mean, it looks, um, it, it just looks amazing. You, you see this thing, it's breathtaking. You think, oh my God, is this going to be okay? And then obviously it is, it is. So just just talk me through this then. Like, how actually safe is it? Is there a danger factor to it? Or is it like literally, you know exactly what's going to happen here in these controlled falls and stuff? And is there like any sort of a danger factor to it? Or is it literally just, it's 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 fine? Uh, it is fine in a nutshell, in one word answer, it's fine, mm. <laughs> but it, it's meant to look exciting and dangerous. And we do it at a low altitude, which takes away some of your margin for error. The, the aerobatic maneuvers themselves aren't inherently dangerous. If you do them correctly, right. it's just like any other maneuver. Um, some of the control inputs are counterintuitive. So in the beginning stages, when you're learning, uh, that there's kind of a window of danger there where you're, it's easy to make mistakes because you just don't know how to do it and you're not used to it. Sure. Uh, but once you've learned it and you get the maneuvers down, um, uh, then it's, it's very predictable. The outcome is almost exactly what you intend every time. Uh, but there is a danger factor. You always r remove margin for error when you go down toward the surface, right? So, um, I have a surface level aerobatic waiver, which means I'm cleared to go all the way to the ground to zero out altitude in my performance. Uh, I don't do that. I kind of set a limit of about 150 feet as a, as a hard, hard deck. Mm -hmm. And I try to be around 300 for, for most of the show. It's better for people if you're up a little higher anyway, but, uh, but yeah, the lower you perform, the lower you do those maneuvers, the less margin for error you have, but the maneuvers themselves, I don't believe are dangerous and they certainly don't hurt the aircraft. Wow. There you go then. <laughs> so, I mean, you watch these things and you think, oh my God, this looks so dangerous. So interesting. That obviously it's all, it's, it's all fine. So I can now watch it with a little bit less tension in the stomach watching them but yeah okay so obviously looking at kind of like your portfolio and everything so you've worked on hundreds or well over 100 movies and tv shows and stuff too so can you tell us about some of that and um, has your work been more focused on like the stunt stuff or is it more about the camera work and can you describe to us like what was one of the most challenging things you did in that industry uh, I like that type of work because all of it's challenging. Uh, I, I primarily focus on the uh, the camera platform. So I fly the, the uh, helicopter that has the camera attached to it mostly. Uh, that's kind of my foundational skill set in that world. There are other guys who concentrate more on flying the stunts. Uh, on our team, we have uh, a couple of guys who are uh, former Blackhawk test pilots, and they do most of the Blackhawk flying for us on camera. Uh, and I tend to be the camera guy. So for me, the challenge is to find a creative and aggressive, energetic way to capture footage. So if you're you know, shooting another helicopter, if you're chasing cars or if there's explosions around or whatever, you want to get as close as you can to things to get more relative motion in the frame and things like that. Uh, so it's it's a creative challenge and, and I love it. It You know, the pay is good. That's how I make my living. <laughs> uh, but it's a lot of fun too. I really, really like flying uh, in, in all, you know, any form of flying I love, but particularly flying cameras. For me, that's just right in my wheelhouse. And I, I like the creative challenge of it, you know, to find a safe and legal way to do something that's, uh, you know, that, that sounds like a horrible idea <laughs> on a phone call. Then you have to figure out a way to make it safe, make it legal and pull it off consistently uh, on yeah. camera. Yeah. So, if we go into that a little bit more and say, so I don't know if you can talk about, I'm sure, I'm sure maybe you can, but what have been like some of the most prestigious movies or things that you've worked on and what was probably like the hardest project? If, I mean, out of a hundred or more, I'm sure there's a lot of options there, but anything that really stuck out? 
Yeah, the, I mean, I, I haven't worked on any of the big, big movies that, that uh, you know, like Top Gun. Some of my friends worked on that. Uh, uh, so one of my partners was the aerial coordinator on that. Uh, but I did. I haven't worked on anything really major. I did work on Extraction, which was uh, number one movie in the world for a, a short time. Uh, that was a Chris Hemsworth movie. We shot that scene in in Thailand. That was a ton of fun. We had a we had a, a bridge sequence where the, the 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 final scene of the movie is a big firefight across a bridge, and we captured that whole thing nice. uh, from the air. And we had all kinds of we had three helicopters flying around different directions, pyro going off everywhere. It was uh, it was fun and exciting. I liked it a lot. And then we did one called Cherry in Saudi Arabia that was a big logistical challenge. We were working there with uh, we had eight Blackhawks and two F-15s and tanks and trucks and all that. And uh, my job was to coordinate everything, the, the scene, everything converged at one point in the desert. So you can imagine the speed differential between a tank and an F-15. So there's a lot of timing and coordination that's involved there. So that's challenging. You know, it's not something you see on camera in terms of, you know, you just see the result, right? You don't, so the, the, the challenge of making it happen is something that, that only we feel. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> I can imagine it's hard to coordinate that. You've got these things going so fast and then you've got these things going so slow. And it's like, uh, I can imagine there's a fair few takes there. But yeah, I saw Extraction. That's a really good movie. I really liked how they, um, it's kind of a lot of, how do you put it? It's like a lot of innovation kind of behind there too, like the combat sequences and stuff. There was a lot of kind mm -hmm. of new things being put into play. There was, a, there was actually quite a lot of John Wickish kind of things that I felt were there too. And it's just interesting how they've kind of evolved, like the filming style and how things are kind of moving in like that direction more. I mean, like the, the one cut sequences were mental, weren't they? Oh yeah. That, that director is Sam Hargrave and he came from the stunt side. So he was a stunt coordinator, a fight coordinator, and that's his background. So yeah. he was the, the director for extraction. So obviously you can see that you can see the DNA of, you know, how that movie was created and through, you know, the creative lens that, that he brings, you know, his skill set. Uh, so that was, that was his art showing through for sure. It was a ton of fun to work on. I was really honored to be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right then. So let's get into the kind of, I'm so excited to hear this because I just love this stuff. I'm, I'm a huge aviation fan and um, I know a little bit about G-Force and stuff. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> good to see you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So big fan of aviation and uh, I went out in an L-39 fighter jet. So I kind of know the feeling of G-Force. So this is, um, this is something I'm, I'm really keen to ask. And so for the people who see the stuff going on, but you know, they can't feel the stuff going on. What does it actually feel like to do a flip in the helicopter? And can you describe what does actually what does it actually feel like compared to like a barrel roll or something in a jet, for example, and how much G force actually is coming or oh, hitting you in these air shows? Uh, much less in the helicopter than what they experience in the airplanes. Like you were in the L thirty nine, you probably pulled five or six Gs, maybe. Uh, six point five. The yeah. Jets tend to pull. Nice. That's good. <laughs> that's that's a healthy amount of G. Um, so in, in my display sequence, I typically pull less than three positive and then just past zero on the negative side. So maybe a quarter of a negative G. So it's really kind of mellow. Uh, when I take fighter pilots along for the ride, uh, when I take them on my demo, uh, they, they're always amazed. Like, it doesn't hurt. This is so easy. It's just it, there's there's no physical strain on your body. If you if you can handle being upside down and the spinning and the rotating and keeping yourself oriented, uh, then it's really it's not it's not physically stressful. Three G's is no big deal. You feel it, but the three G's is nothing compared mm. to you know what the competitive aerobatic pilots pull. The Red Bull Air Race pilots, for instance, it was not uncommon for them to pull up to twelve G's, which is ex ex incredible. That hurts. You don't want anything to do with that. Normal people don't. 
Yeah, I mean, there was this video. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it, but I think it was the Red Bull Air Force, and there was this girl in the back, in like the back seat of one of these planes, and you see her, and like her face just like melts back into her face. Have you seen that video? Yeah, that's Emma Bryan. She's a friend of her dad was one of the original Red Bull skydivers. So she's definitely a Red Bull family member. She's an accomplished pilot herself. Uh, she's commercial rated and an instrument pilot still in uh, university right now. Uh, really young, but really a, a, a sharp, sharp uh, young lady and really cool to be around a great pilot. And I have seen that video many times. The guy <laughs> flying the plane, that's an extra 300. And that's my teammate, Kevin Coleman. So the two of them were up flying together. And that's where that video came from. But it's pretty extraordinary. She's a really pretty girl and then to watch her face just get <laughs> pulled like that you're like oh man that looks like it hurts but she's a champ you, you notice it didn't phase her one bit she was laughing throughout the whole thing I know, it was crazy you see her and, she, and it's just like she's just chilling after that too after this 10 or yeah. 12 days yeah. or whatever it was yes but so yeah credit to her it was fantastic but it, it does put into perspective how powerful these g's actually are but so obviously i've felt kind of like the positive side of things just describe say what what actually is like the feeling of negative g's then because obviously you get that in the helicopter so how does that feel and how different is that in the helicopter, we uh, we don't do we don't push too much negative. Uh, I've only pushed about one negative uh, in the helicopter, and the and the aerobatic guys and jet pilots push way more than that. Uh, Kevin Coleman, my teammate, does a maneuver in our air show where he has to sustain five and a half to six negative G. He's in an accelerated inverted spin. So and and, and to describe what that feels like, it's very very uncomfortable. All the blood rushes up into your head. Your eyeballs feel like they're going to pop out. Uh, I, I haven't pushed a lot of negative. I, I do fly airplanes too. I have a decathlon, a little aerobatic plane. Nice. And in that, I push about two negative Gs and, and I don't like it. It's not very comfortable <laughs> at all. I would rather put on three or four positive than one or two negative. But it is fun to roll upside down on the plane and just fly around inverted. You can't help but laugh and smile, even though you have one negative G. You know, your veins are bulging out a little bit and your eyes are bulging, but uh, it's it's still a ton of fun. It feels good. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, so we, we did um, a couple of, a couple of barrel rolls and stuff um, among other maneuvers. And there's that moment where you get to like the very top of the barrel roll and then, you know, the engine slows down, kind of getting close to stalling, almost like floating it over the top in a sense. And then that feeling is like so peaceful. It's like so quiet and it's almost like being in a, a bath or something. It's an amazing, amazing feeling, isn't it? So it's the negative G sort of thing a little bit. Well, kind of like that just very extreme and then the blood rushes to your head or is that completely different the floating sensation you're describing at the top is is when you pass through zero okay. so you, you're kind of you're, you're literally floating there's no gravitational forces on you at all for this that brief moment as you float over the top that's how they do what they call the vomit comet where they where they do the uh the parabolas and then they have you know 10 seconds of weightlessness as they go over the top and that's what you're experiencing there. The zero feels really good. Mm. Negative doesn't feel so good. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only imagine that. You know what? That's so cool. I'm going to use that as bragging rights. I've been zero gravity before. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you're I'm basically an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Kind of on the way there, but um, <laughs> I think a bit of clever wording or something, and we could probably uh, uh, spruce up the dating profiles or something to no end there. There you uh, go. Right. So um, UK boy uh, obviously came over to the States briefly and kind of did a few things out there. But um, for people who are like from abroad and they kind of want to get into the aviation side of things and air shows and stuff, what's like your favorite air show to do? And can you give me like a like a, a little bucket list or something of must do's around the States or even just internationally for air shows? Ooh. 
Uh, well, if you're a true aviation geek like I am and you love all aspects of it, then you simply have to go to Oshkosh at least once. Okay. Uh, the town of Oshkosh is a little city in, in Wisconsin up in the northern part of the United States. And I don't know the population of the town, but it's really quite small. But a gigantic number of people descend on that town. But the the the, the show, the fly-in, is actually called Air Venture. But everybody calls it Oshkosh because that's what the town is where everybody goes. But you have to do that. It's it's like an air show and a camping trip and a convention and a this giant swap meet all rolled into one. And you know, it's not uncommon for there to be six hundred thousand people there uh per day i don't i don't don't quote me on the exact numbers because it fluctuates but yeah it's big and i think there's over ten thousand aircraft that fly in there i've been to it now four or five times and i still haven't seen all of it it's amazing repeat that number one more time so if you six hundred thousand people that's an event yeah oh Oh, yeah it's a big event so that one is a that one's a must do uh if you if you want to if you want to have the whole aviation experience, but then there's a bunch of really great shows all around the United States. Some there's some ones that are that are bigger than that in terms of spectators. Uh, we do the one in Huntington Beach in Southern California called the Pacific Air Show. And uh, last year on the Saturday, they the crowd estimate it's not exact, but the crowd estimate was 1.7 million people on the beach. So wow. that's a huge party, and it's re- yeah, that was a really big one, really fun. Fort Lauderdale is really big. Jones Beach, Jones Beach in New York is really big. Um, the big ones are fun just because it's such a huge event, but the, some of the small ones, you know, I just, I just got back yesterday. I did one in Augusta, Georgia. Um, Augusta is a little town in Georgia that's famous for golf. Uh, but it's, uh, they had a, they had a really nice air show this past weekend. It was smaller, but it's really cool because you can get a lot closer and it's more of a, you know, good one to bring the family to things like that. So there's a lot of different air shows that are good for different reasons. Go to all of them, plan a whole <laughs> tour around the United States and go to all the air shows. Well, that's a fantastic idea. Um, obviously, the States, though, so obviously I'm from, from the UK. Uh, I don't mind it because I'm just a huge fan of it, so glad to do it. But obviously, getting to the States, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a jump over the pond. So I think you mentioned that the Red Bull stuff is based, did you say, in Austria? Um, is there anything going on around Europe in that sense? Uh, or kind of a little bit closer to home? Oh, perhaps? yeah. You guys have great air shows uh, in, in all around Europe and in the UK as well uh barnborough is a huge one and then duxford is a huge one too i think they uh the the red bull air the the flying bulls came to england i think two years ago and brought a whole bunch of the assets they brought the p38 and the dc6 and a couple helicopters so the red bull guys may be coming your way but check the website go to the flyingbulls.at for the austrian side and i think it, it i think dot com works as well but you can read it all in english or german whichever you prefer and uh and the whole schedule will be up there and you can see where the team is going to be uh, throughout Europe. That's awesome. And, and there's some really big shows in Europe too. There's Air Power, which is in Austria, and that's a really big one. I've been to that one, but I didn't fly in it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I need to get on top of this because I'm such a big fan of it, but I just haven't done any of the air shows. I was kind of um I was kind of setting sights and sun and fun for next year because I know a few people who are going to be going there, like John Rainwaters, Wiz Buckley, and a couple of the other guys, maybe Jerome LeBlanc and stuff. And um, are you are you going to be there by any chance? Bit of sun and fun, maybe. I will. Yeah. Yes. As of right now, the plan I, I'm I'm scheduled to perform at Sun and Fun next year. We have some contracting stuff to work out, so it's not 100 in the bag. But yes, <laughs> we have verbally agreed to be there, so I'll be there, and it'll be my first one. I've never been to that show. Oh wow, cool. Well, yeah, me too. Then <laughs> uh, can't wait for that. Just so excited. And um, last thing to ask as well. Then, so what can we expect to see from you then in the future? I imagine you're going to keep uh, strong to the aviation side of things. But you working on anything at the moment? And what can people expect to see over the next couple of years? 
Well, we've got a couple of stunts cooking up. Uh, I don't know if you've been following the Red Bull team, but uh, I, I worked with my teammate Luke Akins on his no parachute jump when he jumped from 25,000 feet and landed in a net. Uh, that was a big one that I helped coordinate. We, we worked through that one over the course of a year or so. Uh, I worked on Stratos, which is the one that Felix Baumgartner did. He jumped from 128,000 feet and went supersonic. So those big types of projects, uh, we did one called Plane Swap that was about 50% successful for those who saw it. Uh, but we've got some stuff cooking, some stuff I can talk about, like Plane Swap 2 which is cooking, but we'll see. Uh, and then there's a couple of things that we can't talk about quite yet, but we're working on a couple of big stunts that will turn into, you know, live broadcast stunts and it'll be really, really cool and impactful. So stay tuned. And of course I'll be doing more film and television work and I'll hopefully, as long as they have me, I'll keep flying that Red Bull helicopter at air shows all over the U S. Oh yeah. Fantastic. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see all the stuff that's coming out. It's all so exciting. And uh, well, yeah, look, that has been our four questions done for today. And uh, before we wrap it up, it is time for the <laughs> the shameless plug. So Aaron, feel free to take a minute and just promote anything you're working on. Do you want people to take a look at just something you believe in? Um, definitely drop your social media so that our, our, our listeners can uh, go and have a look at the craziness you get up to. Well, the only thing I have to pedal is my Instagram page. That's where we keep track of everything. We post all the cool stuff we're up to. And that's just my name and the number 105 for BO105. So it's Aaron Fitzgerald 105. Easy to find me. It, you'll see all kinds of upside down helicopter pictures on it. You'll know you're on the right page right away. And that's about <laughs> all I got going social media wise. I don't have time to run, uh, you know, all the Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. But I am on Instagram. You can keep an eye on what we're doing there. Any projects up upcoming will all be announced on there as well as uh, upcoming air shows awesome yep links will be in the uh description for the youtube viewers and um you know what i don't even know what it's called for the spotify stuff just the description yeah loads of links there and everything for all the social media bits and bobs and the red bull thing so yeah guys go and check that out but um yeah great stuff aaron thank you so much for joining me today for the talk for podcast it has been an absolute pleasure having you on and great to have met you it's an honor thanks for having me i appreciate it no worries at all. And thank you guys for listening too. This has been episode 75. Wow, three quarters of the way there to the big 100. We're going for it. And um, yeah, guys, if you'd like to listen to the past episodes, loads of interesting people, go and have a look at the channel. And if you'd like to listen in for the future ones too, make sure to hit that subscribe button and spread some love by leaving a like and a comment. Signing off for now.